Hey, it's Courtney. I do want to warn you that in today's podcast, we get a little rowdy with our language. So if you have kiddos running around, you might want to put in some headphones. And I said, these two women don't care how the audition goes or if casting directors like them. They don't care. I said to my friend, you've got two jobs. Get the fucking dog. Get the fucking shoes. Part inspiration, part education. The whole artist with Courtney Rue. Be your best you. Hey, thanks for listening to The Whole Artist with Courtney Rue. I'm Courtney Rue, and today my guest is Michael Kostroff. Michael Kostroff is an established TV and stage actor best known for his five seasons of HBO's The Wire and his long list of guest star and recurring roles. For the past 15 years, all over the country, he's taught a workshop called Audition Psych 101. That's where we met helping actors to take a fresh look at the dreaded process of auditioning. He's the author of Letters from Backstage, which chronicles his time on the road with two shows, The Producers and Les Mis, and Audition Psych 101, based on his class of the same name. He was last seen as one of the leads in HBO's The Plot Against America. So not only am I a huge fan of Michael's acting work, but the reason that I know Michael is because I took his workshop a long time ago, years ago. And then every time he came back to Chicago, I would help him with his workshop, get people signed in in the front door. And then I would watch the workshop or participate in the workshop of Audition Psych 101. So I've taken it like a handful of times and I learn something new every single time. It really just solidifies the knowledge. He's one of the best teachers there is when it comes to the psychology of auditioning. And I mean, I am 100% certain that the reason that I am paramedic Courtney on Chicago Med is because I have taken his workshop. I actually auditioned for the role of medic number one on Chicago Fire. This was season four of Chicago Fire, so a long time ago. And it was my first TV audition. And I don't remember being nervous. I might have been a little bit nervous, but I wasn't as nervous as I thought that I would have been before because I had these tools under my belt from his class. I remember sitting in the waiting room and I did a little meditation because that's something that I do before auditions and gigs is a meditation from Emily Fletcher, who's a former Broadway actress turned meditation coach. And I noticed the other people who were there for the audition. The other four people were all men and they were all different races. So number one, I knew that I just had to go show my version of it, and that's all I could do. I walked into the room thinking, how can I be of service to you? Here's what I have for this role. I'm going to play this role. One of the things that he says is somewhere nearby there's a hospital. Someone is dying and someone is being born. This audition is not that important. This audition that I come in and I grab a baby and say, got it, and leave. Not that important, whether I book it or not. Turns out super important to my life because I booked it. But in the moment for auditioning, you know, you can't think that. You can't think this will become a recurring role over three shows and seven seasons and over 60 episodes. Like, like you can't put that future on it. Uh, in the moment, you have to think, I'm coming in here to get the baby and take this baby to safety. And that's the only thing you can think about and how to serve in that story. Anyway, I book medic number one and it does become a recurring role a year or two later on Chicago Med and some episodes of Chicago PD as well. But without Michael's technique, without his philosophy, his psychology on auditioning, I'm a nervous wreck going into that room. Are you kidding me? It's my first TV audition ever. So much pressure on myself because I really want to book it. 
you know, I probably would play that game of, oh, if I book this, then this, then this, then this, then this, which does not put you in the present moment. So I think Michael is a huge part in me having a TV career, and I'm grateful for him. And I just love having conversations with him. He's super smart. He's really funny. He's a great actor. He tells great stories. I got to be honest with you, number one, my friend joked that this should have an NC-17 rating because of all the F-bombs we drop on it. Put in your headphones if you've got little ones running around or someone in your house gets upset by the F-bomb. Also, we recorded this a month ago, maybe. It was before George Floyd was murdered. And so that doesn't come up in this episode at all. But we do actually get a little... um pessimistic about the state of the world and about our leadership in this country. And I want to warn you about that because I think for me anyway, I can't speak for Michael, but for me, I actually have more hope and am more optimistic because of the protests, because of some poll data that has recently come out that I listened to on the daily podcast. I do feel this sense of hope for our future where I didn't when we were filming this episode. But we'd talk about all sorts of things, auditioning, acting, HBO, his new show, his old shows. If you're here because you love Michael, welcome to this podcast. If you're here because of me and you don't know Michael, you're in for a treat. Without further ado, Michael Kostroff. Oh my gosh, Michael, welcome. I'm so excited to have you here. It's been too long since we've hung out in China. I know, so and I missed great. you in, yeah. when you were here in Chicago last time. I was really sad. How did that go? You know what? It's always a joy. I always say I have a special place in my heart for Chicago actors. Mm. I, I don't know what it is exactly. I think just I just always feel like their approach to craft is really cool. I love Chicago actors. <laughs> well, we're very theater-based, and I know you come from a background of theater and love yes. doing theater, and yes. so like-minded people. Yeah. <laughs> so what's keeping you busy during quarantine? Are you in New York? I'm in New York. Uh, I'm so much busier than I expected to be. Me I, too. I, and it's weird. I'm not sure how I feel about that. I was really worried about, oh my God, I'm going to get bored, go crazy. Right. One of my coaching clients asked me to teach a weekly acting class, which I oh, started doing. Nice. It's been educational for me because I never thought of myself as an acting teacher. Yeah. I've taken an acting class from you too with the comedy and stuff. I guess so. I just, I think sometimes we're the last to know uh, <laughs> our, our own assets. Yeah. Week after week, I'm sitting there thinking, oh, they must be thinking this is such bullshit. And they keep coming back and bringing their friends. I'm like, okay, so I got that going on. I've done more play readings and podcasts mm -hmm. and, and some things that are just goofy fun. Like a friend of mine found an old script from the sitcom Here's Lucy. Mm -hmm. and distributed parts and we all filmed them and edited them together and reunions and coachings and uh, yeah. a lot of things and i'm glad that's keeping me busy do you get to rest yeah god yes i'm, okay, I'm taking world-class naps every day <laughs> i also decided to do readings from my first book letters from backstage because it's a, a chronicle of touring with uh, the producers and les mis i was trying to think what can i do that's of, of service you know yeah. a lot of us think that way and i thought What's great about that book is it's a virtual tour. I felt like it could remind us all of being out of our apartments and going to different places. And Yeah. I loved reading that book. Thank you. Yeah. It's really fun. Again, I've, I've been, as I always am, really surprised by the response. People are like, this is getting me through the quarantine. Thank you so much. And mm -hmm. 
So I've just been doing these readings of chapters from the book and putting them on YouTube and starting work on a, another book project, which I've been procrastinating about Ooh, for a long time. Very exciting. Can you talk about it? Of course. I have for a long time been bothered by the fact that there isn't a stage actor's handbook. Mm. And so I'm working on that. Like one book that has our traditions and our protocols and our superstitions and all the stuff that we only learn by getting them wrong. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Like saying the name of the Scottish play or... Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then having everybody be horrified. Yeah, you know? spitting on the ground. and <laughs> Yeah. Amazing. It's a big project because it's a big subject, but, I, but I'm having a good time working on that. I love that. I can't believe everything I've just told you because this time when none of us has any work, I'm finding myself busy. I know. Well, speaking of that, did any gigs get canceled for you? Have you booked anything? Like I booked a voiceover job. I did it from wow. my closet. I lost three jobs, oh, uh, God. Three, three big jobs that uh, have not been employed since. Are they coming back? Are they being postponed or did you just lose them? I have to think about that. One was a big teaching job in Vancouver, which I will do. Ooh. One was writing a show for a cruise ship, which I'll still probably do. Are cruises going to be a thing still? Uh, yeah, who knows? <laughs> yeah. I think these jobs will okay, come back. But regardless, uh, something will come back. I haven't had employment. I'm glad you have. Well, one little demo for voiceover. So <laughs> these days, that's a score. It is. I felt very lucky to like book something during quarantine, mm -hmm. no matter what it was. So, and it was really fun to do it. Like I said, in my closet, just like close the door, hope my cat doesn't meow. And yeah, I was just going to say that my cat is very, very talkative. So we might hear him oh, during this interview. <laughs> <laughs> Looking usually, forward to it. He usually has comments. <laughs> <laughs> Michael, you used to hate auditioning. Something that I love about you is that you changed your mindset on that and then you taught people how to change their mindset because so many people have a fear of auditioning and hate auditioning, yet it's such a yeah. huge part of our job. It is our job to audition. So can you talk a little bit about you, what your mindset used to be like and then what changed? I started out as bad at this as somebody could probably be. I was a very, very, it's strange to say now, but I was in certain ways very, very shy and had a real neurosis about presenting myself in public. I was afraid to go into a store and ask for something. I, I wow. can't really trace back all that was, but needless to say, auditioning was nerve wracking as it always is and then some for me. Over the years, because I, I was determined to be an actor nonetheless, I guess I really started to vet some of my thoughts about it mm. for logic. You know, whenever I talk about my class, I, my first concern is that people are going to think it's some sort of positive thinking, envisioning, <laughs> you know, reframing. So, you know, and I don't believe in any of that stuff. Well, it is reframing. But right, it's, yeah. It's really logic. It really has to do with, does this make sense? And how can I pick apart what I'm thinking and go, oh, God, I actually don't need to worry about that one. I really enjoy auditioning. I love it. It changed gradually. There's a theme in my life. I discover things that I'm good at because somebody else points it out. You know? <laughs> <laughs> a friend made me teach this class, and I was like, what class? And she's like, you're such an idiot. Teach this class. It's been 15 years now. Of really? Audition Psych 101. Wow. I'm trying to think of when I first, because I've taken it like five, six times. I don't even know how many times I've taken it. Well, and it's, it's evolved over the years, too. I mean, yeah. you know. I've taught it to actors at all levels in all markets. The universality of what we go through is part of what is valuable in that class. People gather in a room and go, oh, my God, it's not only me. Right, because <laughs> you, know? you think it's just you. Right. 
And then you hear someone like you say it and you're like, oh, it's not yeah. just me. Even people who are working still have these thoughts. Like, do you still have these thoughts? You still have to talk yourself through this every audition. Maybe less than I used to, but I always say I fail my class on a regular basis. So, I, <laughs> so yes, sometimes I do have to talk myself through it. But no, I mean, I, I think I have an approach now that really works for me. As you know, I always say actors are my tribe and I like it's really humbling to me to be able to help actors is, you know, I get these emails from people saying, oh, that totally changed my career, changed my life. You yeah. Know? And that, that's like the best to me. It's oh, amazing. Yeah. yeah. That's that's awesome when that happens. And I'm sure you get so many of those emails. I do. And it never gets old. It's always gratifying. I, I You know, I, I just am so honored to be in a position where I can demystify a little bit of this thing that people really suffer under. I, I feel like there's no law that says this has to be miserable or hard. Right. For people who haven't read your book or taken your class, what is the number one reframe or mindset shift that you tell people about? So I, I know what you're hinting at. <laughs> yeah. A lot of my teaching is counterintuitive and yet very accurate. At a time when so much of the world is going, be positive, believe in yourself, believe in your dreams and all this other stuff that I don't believe in. The thing that has probably been a, the most radical change in my thinking about auditioning is what's become my mantra, which is you're not getting the fucking job. Now, people <laughs> say, oh, that's so negative. That's so bad. But mathematically, statistically, it's true. It's the most likely outcome. I mean, yeah. I always tell people the reason I tell you you're not getting the fucking job is you're not. You're not. Right. And I mostly don't get the fucking job. And people are surprised to hear that. They think I work all the time. I mostly go and audition and don't get employed. So we put all this effort and trying to crack this code and solve this mystery that can't be solved of how to make people hire you, which you cannot do. Right. People think there's some secret magic thing you do. We get so much anxiety because we're trying to solve an unsolvable puzzle, you know? Right. Because instead of being present in the moment, you're thinking, what does this person want? What should I do to make them happy? And that awful, how's it going? Like watching yourself stuff. Right. People laugh that I always say you're getting the fucking job. And the reason I have to be so emphatic is I'm trying to pry people away from this weird actor mythology that says, if you do it right, you're going to get hired. Yeah, because even when you do it right and you're the perfect person for the job. No, you might Guess not. what? <laughs> oh, it happens all the time. Yeah. I've also been hired when I was, in my opinion, not the perfect person for the job. Right. You know? And so. someone out there was going, but I was perfect for that. Mm -hmm. And it's it's funny because it's the most quoted thing from my class. People will write to me and go, I just had a great audition. I know I'm not getting the fucking job, but I had a great time. I'm like, that's really, you, you win the game. You win. And I even love it. And I am one of those positive thinking type of people. And I love it just because it takes the pressure off of you to get it right, to do it right, or to get the job. And you kind of just go in there and have fun instead. I jokingly say I don't believe in positive thinking. It's not that I don't. I just don't believe in magical thinking or mm -hmm. mental manipulation. And the fact is, it's not really negative. It's just truthful. Right. What it does is it frees me up because I'm like, okay, I'm not getting the fucking job. That's off the table. I don't have to figure out how to get it. Now I go back to my work as an actor. I figure out what's going on in the scene. What does the character want? You know, how would I like to play it? What choices feel right to me? I'm not getting the fucking job. I have one performance. I'm going to go enjoy being an actor today. Like, yeah, I still remember not having any auditions at all. So any day that I get to go be an actor, it's like, this is a great day. Yes, you know? it is. Yeah. And if you take the fear out of it or the need or the desperation, it does become a great day because you do get to do what you love instead of... Instead of focusing on results. I had a coach say that success is in the actions you take, not the results you make. And that has really stuck with me. And I, I try to live my life. Yeah, that's Dallas Travers. Beautifully put.
when I finish an audition, I'm done. I'm not waiting around to see if something comes of it. I'm done. I'm not getting the fucking job. I've yeah. done it. That was the fucking job. That was the job. I, I keep thinking about this. I've been talking about it in class. A couple of years back, I had an audition for all my sons, you know, like Arthur Miller. I don't get to do a lot of Arthur Miller. And I didn't get hired for that production, but I got to do some fucking Arthur Miller. I got to do what actors do and, you know, work on the scene and, and, and answer some questions for myself and, you know, do the characterization. And people stopped and they watched me. I got to do Arthur Miller. That's yeah. great. Yeah. I would do it again. It's amazing. As you know, I get worked up on the subject. I know, I know. But you said it was it was a gradual thing, right? It wasn't some like one day you were like magically like, no. oh, I, I get it. This is the key. This was. No, not at all. Not at all. It was it was so slow and imperceptible that I didn't realize that I had changed my attitude until somebody pointed it out to me. And then do you feel like it was mostly that mental shift that got you booking more work or was it your work ethic or what do you think? I don't know the answer to that. Mm. I think it's a combination of things. I always feel like I want to be honest about the fact that part of my confidence comes from getting hired. Yeah. I, I, you know, as opposed to, to people feeling like they have to have great confidence in a vacuum. Like, it takes a minute, mm -hmm. you know? And, and the more I've gotten hired, maybe now I'm starting to think I might be good at this stuff, you know? <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> Did you ever, like for me, I always thought I was going to get fired after I got upset. Every oh, time. Yeah. The first first 12 jobs. Yeah. Yes, I yeah. Probably my first couple of jobs, I thought it was some crazy fluke and they were going to figure it out and fire me. And then I've gotten more confident from working more and getting hired more. So I think it's sort of a cyclical thing. I think also getting better at auditioning and feeling more comfortable with all these things. And to some extent, I think I've, I've vetted some of my thoughts on the set because I've caught myself in the middle of filming thinking, oh, this mm -hmm. person probably thinks I'm a terrible actor. Yeah. Uh, in the middle of a, of a take. So. And that, that produces great acting. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there's always, there's always stuff to sort of keep an eye out for in terms of weird mental stuff. I like that, um, vetting your thoughts. That's all yeah. it is. It's like, is this true? Yes or no? What is true? Yeah, that's all. That's all. I call it a negative positive, which is like a very New York thing. It's like, just tell me how bad it is, and then I'll deal with it. I'll figure <laughs> out how to deal with it, you know? <laughs> It's not being defeated by it. It's just going, okay, okay, but this yeah. is the reality. Yeah. Can we jump in and talk about some of your shows? Because I know that people sure. are obsessed with The Wire, yeah. including me. Love that show. Was it extremely popular when it first came out, or has it become a cult classic now? We didn't know what we had. In fact, I believe that HBO tried to cancel it every season. Really? And David Simon had to go pitch to them every year because he always wanted to do five seasons. And if yeah. I'm not mistaken, after the fifth season, HBO wanted to continue it. Oh. Said, no, I'm only doing five seasons. <laughs> the last season, they only gave us 10 episodes instead of 13. They were still being frugal. I was just glad to be working. I didn't know what it was. I'm so, so proud to have been a part of that. Oh, obviously. my God. Yeah. I, I actually just rewatched it with some friends. I haven't watched it in 20 years since it first came out. And mm. what was cool is I had forgotten so much of it that I was watching the episode going, what's going to happen? <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's such it's so it seems stupid to say but it's so damn good it is so good if you haven't watched the wire and you're listening to this just go start from the beginning season one episode one watch the entire thing and you have to be patient with it because it it doesn't give you cliffhangers it doesn't mm -hmm. try to grab you in the first episode you just have to sit with it for a while by episode three or four we've got you was that your favorite show to work on or project like what's been like the most magical project that you think you've worked on so hard to pick because i've had such gratifying experiences on so many i mean 
the, the truth is at this point, some of them do feel like punching the clock and, and, and just going to work, which is great. Right. I, don't mind, I don't mind punching the clock and going to work. <laughs> you know, what comes to mind is the blacklist. First of all, I, I typically play really rotten human beings. And <laughs> twice recently, I've gotten to play people of conscience and, and soul, which yeah. is more like me. You know? Right. It's so weird that you you just get typecast into this like yeah. skeezy guy. It's fun. <laughs> but, you know, on the blacklist, I played a detective and they chose to avoid all of the usual detective cliches. He wasn't tough. He wasn't gotcha. He wasn't tricky. He wasn't intimidating. He just cared about justice. And that was really mm. unusual. And I love that role. Similarly, the last thing I was on was The Plot Against America. Oh, I just started. Oh, my gosh. It's so good. Well, and it's like, oh, this is real life right now. It's a little hard to watch because it's so real. Yeah. I played finally a guy who was kind of reflective. It wasn't really hard acting because he's a guy who wants to leave the country. He's reading the signs and he moves to Canada, which is something that I might be doing. Yeah. So um, it really wasn't very accessible for me and i think i i think i found that magical only because i i, I again uh, it was a break from my usual sleaze balls and that was right nice. let's talk a little bit about you have plans to move to canada i am moving forward i don't know if i'm full of shit or not but i know that i'm i'm really scared about what's happening in our country to be honest i feel like the alleged safeguards are not necessarily in place i warn you i'm a, i'm at sort of the far end of the spectrum in terms of how bad i imagine it could get I'm not sure that the election won't be completely rigged. I'm not yeah. sure that we will be able to retain our rights and our constitution. I don't know what's going to happen. I think we might be on our way to a very different kind of government. And I know that's extreme, but that's where I'm at right now. No, we talk about that in our household on a daily basis. I just don't think anything is guaranteed. Because we've seen proof that yeah. it's going that way. There's been a long list of things that quote unquote can't happen right. and they've happened. Very much like my character in The Plot Against America, I'm I'm looking at the signs and going, this is not, you know, as I see the, the press gets silenced more and more mm -hmm. and propaganda elevated with the coronavirus, the control of information, it's been really troubling. And I've, I've talked about going to Canada before around the last election. What's different this time is I, I actually spoke with an immigration attorney and got my forms sort of figured out. Mm -hmm. And I am moving forward with, with that process, which, you know, costs a little bit of money to, mm -hmm. to file those forms. I have to take an English test, which is interesting. Wow. And get, get, Do you uh, think I you'll think pass? I think I'll pass. Yeah. <laughs> I have to get a medical exam from somebody who's approved by the Canadian government, and I have to apply and sort of prove that I have expectation of being able to work as an actor in Canada, which I do. I think so. It's been interesting. I mean, I'm, you know, I always feel like whenever I'm anxious, I, I always go to finding out information. Mm -hmm. What don't I know yet that I can find out? Because that always puts me more at ease. I found out that with permanent resident status, I, I wouldn't lose my citizenship in the U.S., and I would have to spend the equivalent of two out of every five years in Canada. So that means back and forth. And I actually spoke seriously with my agent about it. And when she realized I was serious, she was like, I can get on board with this. We can work with this. We have relationships with agents in Canada. I'm like, okay. Okay. I think I'm going to do it. My current plan in my fantasy is to get like a sprinter van, you know, yeah. and live in it so that I can transport all my stuff and not have to go to hotels and restaurants and risk exposure to the virus. Wow. I, I'm sort of, I'm sort you of have hatching got this, this all thought I, out. I'm hatching this point. You know, when the virus broke out, it, the first thing I did was panic about finances. I thought I might have to move out of this apartment. What does that look like? Yeah. You know, like I said, I'm just trying on some possible strategies because that calms me down to yeah. do so. 
Are you looking at Vancouver, Toronto? Vancouver. I have a relationship with a theater company there. They've flown me out for, oh, like four years or so to teach there. In fact, that was one of the jobs that got shut down. Usually every spring I go out and teach a huge all-day workshop for them. I really like these guys who run this company. And I have an agent from one of the top agencies who wants to rep me if I get my paperwork in order. I now have taught a bunch of actors there, so I yeah. have a, a, a good mailing list. It's scary. It's like learn a new monetary system and all this stuff, but it, it's also... It's kind of exciting. It it's, like. it's also kind of exciting. I have to say, I, I'm a great believer in what I call shaking up the snow globe. Every once in a while, doing something that is like, oh boy, this is scary. I'm taking a dive. That always grows you. Yeah. And I mean, hey, Justin Trudeau, dreamy. Come on. <laughs> I think he's dreamy as a leader, too. Yes, so that's, yes. you know, I'm not afraid to say he's not hard to look at. <laughs> I'd rather look at him than Trump any day. He's not hard to look at and he's not hard to listen to. Yeah, a reasonable bloke. And that's, yeah. I'm really kind of terrified about wh where we're going here. Yeah, it is a scary thing. And what's scary is that people don't realize how scary that is. Like whether yeah. or not you believe what he says, the, the point is that like silencing press and... Well, it's very serious. That's very serious. It's, we've seen this in the past. It's classic. I mean, we, we might be in Germany in the 1930s right now. Right. But, you know, my fondest hope is that people will look back at this and laugh at me and I'll be a fool. I, right. I, I, I hope that people go, oh, my God, remember when Kostrov was all flipped out about the country and when we ended up being fine. So I hope that happens. Me too. I hope that happens as well. So in this show, The Plot Against America is on HBO, as was The Wire, um, as was... The Wizard of Lies. Yes, which was also amazing. Mm -hmm. Your work in that was amazing. Thank you. Are you in this HBO club? Like, once you get in, you're, you're golden or... <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't, I don't feel like I'm golden. I feel like every, every job is a score. Yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, it's not like they're giving me straight offers for anything. Mm -hmm. um, actually, no, the last one was a straight offer. Oh, um, congratulations. Cool. So maybe I'm in that club. I think I'm more in the David Simon club because I've done right. four, David Simon, three, four David Simon projects. Uh, the Deuce, which is also HBO, and mm -hmm. Show Me a Hero, which was a miniseries. So I think I'm in the David Simon Club. It's a I, good club to be in. It's a great club to be in. And what's great is they do like to bring people back in very different kinds of roles. So that's nice. Oh, that is. Yeah, that's yeah. really nice. Is there anything you do as an actor to cultivate those relationships? Or is it just kind of natural, like they like working with you and they want you back? Yeah, it's that one. I'm, yeah. I've never been much of a networker or a you know schmoozer or anything like that. I when I'm at work, I'm not campaigning for my next job. And I'm not mm. saying that's this is the way to do it. I'm just saying that's how that's I do how it. it's worked for you. Yeah. And I've been fortunate enough. Roles have turned into recurring roles that weren't supposed to be and, mm. and things like the HBO stuff. I've been very, very lucky. I mean, um, you you show up prepared. You have a good attitude. You're a nice person. Like yeah, all of these things. Another part of that package of, of things that you just listed is I have learned how important it is to not bring my nerves onto the set because it makes other people uncomfortable. You know, somebody asked me about this in terms of working with big stars. And I said, you know, big stars would like to be off duty in terms of being a big star. When they go to work, they want to just be actors and roll up their sleeves. Right. And when, when you bring in some sort of fan vibe or nerves, then they got to take care of you and it's adding to their burden. Oh, and, yeah. you know, when I'm on set, and my wife commented on this, part of what I bring is a sense of, don't worry, I got this, I do this all the time, and not being needy and not being nervous or insecure, or at least not showing it anyway, so that I don't add to the burden of the, of the other people on the set. Right. I love in your class when you talk about 
you would never hire a nervous doctor. Like if a doctor no, came in and was like, not. I just have to give you this shot. And I'm, I'm just, I'm sorry. I'm so right. scared. It's right, my exactly. first time giving a shot. And uh... yeah, 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 exactly. I, yeah. It's, you know, I, I don't, actors do tend to indulge in nervousness and share nervousness as opposed to realizing I've got to put that on lockdown and hide it because it's not doing anybody any favors. Nobody wants to work with that energy. Right. Uh, so are you, passionate about anything outside of acting? What keeps you busy when you're not acting? I don't have a lot of hobbies. I play a lot of online Scrabble. I'd say that's it. <laughs> um, I honestly, what I'm passionate about, I'm trying to manage my feelings about what's going on in our country and in the world. And I guess I get pretty passionate about things like social justice and yeah. people's rights and those kinds of things. I'd like to say that I'm more of an activist. I need to work on that. Me too. Uh, um, but I get very, very passionate about that. You know, I'll tell you something else now that we're on, uh, on the conversation I'm remembering. I'm really passionate uh, about the idea that American citizens of, of different ideologies should be able to converse and have conversations and not cut each other off. I, yeah. I think that's not doing us any favors as a nation. Most of my friends, like me, are on the left. And many of them say, oh, you can't talk to those people on the right. You can't talk to them. Like, well, if you can't, we're really in trouble. Right. I mean, that is a tactic to separate people, to make people yeah. think that we're different. I always say, like it or not, we're roommates. Yeah. You know, so you can leave the dirty dishes in the sink and stew over them or go, hey, man, I need to talk to you about these dirty dishes. I know that sounds simplistic, but I don't have a lot of Republican friends, but I, I really try like to connect with people on Twitter, not to yell at them, not to yeah. call them names. Because that's not going to change anybody's mind. No. Nobody has ever changed their minds from getting yelled at. No. But, you know, one guy in particular who he followed me because he was a fan and he turned out to be very, very right in Trump. And we've had great conversations. And he knows that I'm going to say to him, what the hell? What? Yeah. You know, and, you know, we've taught each other a thing or two. So, And, and uh, I think that's it goes to also with acting and storytelling, like that's what actually changes people's hearts is yes. stories. Mm -hmm. And so it's not a surprise that you're passionate about that outside of acting. Those of us who study human behavior, I think, should be interested in conversations with just about anybody. Yeah. You know. Because it is all fear-based. It's like, is it fear? Is it out of fear? Or is it out of love? Right. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. There was this, this guy who followed me. We had such interesting conversations that we got on the phone. And that went so well, this was a while ago, that I invited him to come have lunch with me when he was in town. And he did. Amazing. And, and we walked around Central Park. We don't agree on very many things. But we're able to talk. In fact, we're talking about maybe doing a podcast together because of the fact that we can actually have conversations. You know? I love that. That's, that is awesome. Yeah. That's the well, only that, way that things, not just you changing his mind, but maybe you seeing it from a different perspective as well and really connecting with each other. Yeah. The fact is we tend to dismiss information that's inconvenient for our point of view. He's taught me one or two mm -hmm. things that I, and I can already feel my fellow liberals tensing up and going, whatever it was, it was a lie. <laughs> but no, he's taught he's taught me a couple of things that, that didn't go with my narrative, you know, and I'm like, okay, all right. And it's not a threat to my beliefs. It hasn't yeah. threatened my point of view. My and you're not view, going to vote for Trump. No, but I think if we're afraid of facts and truth and stuff that may not go with our narrative, we don't we don't progress. Absolutely. I love that. And I love that you're reaching out to people and having meaningful conversations. I'm and trying. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it sounds like it's everybody. working. Yeah, <laughs> no, yeah. no. 
Definitely. Um, what about coaching? Do you feel like coaching and teaching, although you don't think you are a teacher, but I know you to be, is that well, something you're passionate about as well? I do think I'm a teacher. I just never thought of myself as an acting teacher because mm. I, I'm not a highly trained actor and I don't follow any particular technique. But what I'm finding is in this weekly class that I'm teaching, I'm doing what I do when I coach, which is helping people to get better at looking for the clues in the material and yeah. and expanding their choices and being more uh, logical and less acty and, you know, just all the stuff that I work on for myself. Yeah. And they seem to like it. I, yes, I am passionate about that. I, again, I became a coach because somebody made me do it. Uh, you know, all, <laughs> um, they, they made you do it. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I had coached a friend of mine just, you know, as a favor. And the next time she had an audition, I coached her again. She said, how much am I paying you? I said, nothing. She goes, how much am I paying you? Oh. She said, you don't understand. You're my coach now. That's a like, good oh, friend. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's so gratifying. I, I, I love actors so much. And I love the process of the detective work when we get a new piece of a scene or something. You know, watching people get things and grow and have a great time. I've, I, you know, a girl in my class wrote to me to say, she said, for three hours, I'm in my happy place you oh. know, when, when, when we're having class. I'm, we're doing what we do. You know? yeah. I'm really passionate about it. I get very excited. My, my favorite thing, though, is when people have an audition and they come to me and they walk in the door concerned about the audition and they leave looking forward to playing the part. Mm. You know, That's it. They go, I can't wait to play this part tomorrow. It's going to be fun. I'm like, That's really it. Yeah, that's everything. Yeah. You know, the rest of it's out of our control. And then again, even if you don't actually book the job, you've got to play that part. You're not going to book a job. It's not going to yeah. happen. I will keep saying that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, but sometimes we forget and we think, oh, man, if I book this job, I'm going to do this and this. And I'm gonna, it's going to further my career. And it's going to, like, we get in our heads about that. And it's like, nope, you're not going to book the fucking job. You know, I'm always working on something for myself. And a very simple thing that has been so valuable to me that I will share it, even though it sounds so stupidly obvious. I've been really reminding myself to do the character's task. Like if right. you're going in for, for a one-line role and it's more coffee, I always ask, if somebody comes to me to work on that, I'm like, do you know whether the person wants more coffee? Well, no. Okay, well, when, when you go to the casting office, go find out. Go, go in there and find out. Yeah. It's so freeing because we all go, oh, yeah, I know how to do that. Instead of going, how am I going to play this? How is it going? My favorite story about this was I was coaching a friend who was auditioning for The Wizard of Oz for the dual role of Miss Gulch, who comes to take away Toto, and The Wicked Witch of the West. Mm-hmm. And I said, these two women don't care how the audition goes or if casting directors like them. They don't care. These two women that you're auditioning to play. I said to my friend, you've got two jobs. Get the fucking dog. Get the fucking shoes. Yeah. When you walk in that room, go get the fucking dog and go get the fucking shoes. And that's all. That's all you're there to do. Right. Instead of trying to get a part. Yeah, because you're not auditioning to be an actor playing a part. Exactly. You're applying for the job of Wicked Witch. Right. But we forget that. And we're like, how do I be an actor in this moment? <laughs> right. I mean, and the performances that we love to see are the ones where you go, oh, that didn't even look like that. Right. Exactly. You can't tell. You're so good at getting those kind of performances out of people and teaching people how to do that. Are you at all interested in directing? I've done some directing in the last five, six years. I started directing theater. I'm not at all interested in directing for the, for the screen because it's, it's a whole other set of skills. First of all, it's really long days on your feet. But also, the technical part of it, it, it just doesn't appeal. I, I, you know, I, it, it's not for me. I love directing theater. That's been such a joy, and I hope to do more and more of that. In fact, it's one of the things, you know, these regional theaters are going to be struggling to get back on their feet. Oh, yeah. And I'm thinking, you know, I can 
go around and work cheap and support them that way. Again, love actors. It's so amazing to watch actors do what they do. Well, I'm glad that you've been doing that. I know last time we saw each other that you had talked about getting into directing. You're really good at it, so Thanks. I'm excited. I'm doing it more and more. I good. Mean, you know, and as we said, I hope to come to Chicago and do it. Uh, oh, yeah. When things are open again. Please come. <laughs> So where can people find you these days? How do they take your class? How do they get in touch with you for coaching? I should first tell you that the the book of Auditions Like 101 is available on Amazon because that's these days that's the quickest way to get the content. <laughs> right. And the book is great. It's not as good as being there live, but it's like taking the class. And I, I deliberately wanted to put it out because I can't get everywhere. My website is auditionpsych101.com. There's no E in psych. It's just P-S-Y-C-H, auditionpsych101.com. You can contact me. I should also say that I have a series of weekly videos. These are free. Everything's, I like to put out free content. So on that website, there's a, a tab called Weekly Video. And I, I started doing just these little tiny thoughts about auditioning. Uh, I have about two years worth. And then I sort of stopped when we quarantined ourselves. But there's a lot of stuff to watch there. If you want to join me for the reading of my book, that's on YouTube. And it's called Letters from Backstage. That's the name of the channel. Also free. Now we know if we interact with you on Twitter, we'll get invited to New York to go to lunch with you and take a walk. That's in right, of course. <laughs> My Twitter, I have two different Twitter accounts. Mine is at the real Kostroff, and then the other one is at Audition Psych. Nice. They can look on your IMDb, and they yes, can of course. watch you so on HBO Go and Netflix and, and everything. Everything. I've probably, probably been in your living room at some point already. Yeah, you you know Michael Kostroff. <laughs> you actually know him. You've seen him. Yeah, he's that guy who's in everything. One question that someone had written in, how do you stay hopeful being self-employed and how do you keep that hope up? I always like to answer things like this honestly. Sometimes I don't keep the hope up. Sometimes yeah. I do, sometimes I don't. I have the advantage, and I please don't let this sound elitist, it's just true. I have the advantage that now I'm at a point where I can sort of reasonably guess that something might come along. So I'm able to go a longer period of time before I panic and think my whole life is over. <laughs> I mean, particularly during this pandemic, some days I'm great, and then some days I just want to lie on the floor and cry. And I think we have to be honest with each other about that and not put, yeah. put on such a brave face. This is weird. It's not normal. And it makes sense to be scared, depressed, or whatever else you feel. I always believe in going through the feeling, not trying to suppress it or go around it. Because if you do, that's, it's just going to stay there. It doesn't work. Full yeah. disclosure, the last couple of days I've been very depressed. I'm not in a great place. Yeah. I also know I'll come out of the other end of that. During this time, the only thing I can share is when I look at just the small immediate task, cooking a meal, feeding the cat, calling a friend, everything's fine. When I try to get my brain around the big, vast picture of it, I just fall into despair. I have varying success at keeping myself hopeful. During normal times when there's no COVID, any kind of sense of entitlement or expectation is really the enemy for actors because, you know, nobody made us sign on for this and we knew it was going to be an unstable career. So better to just get your head around the fact that it's the norm. There's nothing wrong. You know, if yeah. you're going long periods of unemployment, having trouble getting an agent, this is all normal. This is all what we signed on for, you know. Right. It's, it's expecting something different that's going to be painful. I think that's where the big disappointment comes in, honest to God. Yeah. But it's hard because when you are doing well, you like think it's never going to end. And then right. when you're not doing well, you think that's never going to end. So you really have to sort of wrap your mind around. That's the ride. You got to buckle in. Yeah, <laughs> no. Buckle in. Nothing's linear. I mean, people think I work all the time. I do not work all the time. 
it really feels like that from the outside, but I know, I know, I know it does. <laughs> I know it does. And, and you know, there have been those weeks where it's like, oh my god, I've got two jobs in a week. That's happened. Oh yeah, but not not usually. Right. I mean, you know, not usually. <laughs> I, I typically go long periods of being unemployed, and oh, that's yeah. uh, that's just the reality of the business. Yeah. The only exception was when I was on tour. I, you know, I, I had employment for a year at a time, mm. but that's rare. When this quarantine is all over, what are you looking forward to most? You know, on my bucket list is that I still don't have a New York stage career. And I'm right here in New York. You know, knock wood, I've been so busy with television. Yeah. I really want to get back in front of an audience and particularly in New York. It's one of the things I miss the most is live theater. Mm. I'm very, very excited and hopeful about that. I can't wait till we can do that again. That is crazy to me that you don't have that on your resume. No. I don't, I'm I rooting don't. for you. <laughs> the two, actually, the two things I miss the most are hugging people mm. and having a meal at a diner with a friend. Oh my god, I miss those things so much. Yeah, those are the big ones. Oh, I'm gonna hug you so hard next time I see you. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for being on the show. It's always such a delight to talk to you. Back at you. I love. I just really love our conversation. So thank you. Me for too. Me. And I, gosh, if I would have known quarantine was going to happen, I would have gotten my ass to your class it, <laughs> when you were here last. I'm kicking myself. <laughs> but yes, please come back. Please teach more direct here. Like I know you're moving to Canada, but you got to come back and, and see us. I can still come back. Yeah. Don't let me back in. <laughs> I'll let you back in. Okay, good. <laughs> Well, thank you, Michael. Have a great rest of your week, and I look forward to seeing you in person sometime soon. Yeah, that got you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much, Michael Kostroff, for being a guest on the show. As always, I want to thank Jamie and Eric at Blythe Martin Productions for my amazing jingle, to Joe Mazza at Brave Lux for the photo in my logo, and to Mike Caputo at Pod Clubhouse for producing this podcast. The whole artist with Courtney Rue is produced under the SAG-AFTRA new media contract. Thanks, SAG-AFTRA, for your continued support. I hope you've been inspired. I hope you learned something, and I hope you feel better than you did before you were listening. Have a great day, and I'll talk to you next week. with Courtney Rue. The Whole Artist with Courtney Rue is a Pod Clubhouse original production, produced, engineered, and edited at Pod Clubhouse Studios. Follow us online at podclubhouse.com.